0: Hello, hello, and welcome to Elated, the podcast. I'm Arielle, and I care about your mental health. Over the last few years, I've built a business with a mission to destigmatize the conversation surrounding mental health maintenance, using food as a starting point. I found that educating people on how our gut-brain connection, and don't worry, I'll explain what that is, influences our mood, feelings, cognitive abilities, and so much more created a comfortable space to talk about what it means to take care. My goal has always been for people to talk about their emotional health the same way we talk about physical health. And in this time and space, I think we can all agree on how important this is. Every week, I'll be sharing conversations with friends and professionals whose expertise is in a space that contributes to our mental well-being. I'll be asking for their take and tips on topics we all think about, but few of us talk about. Whether it's mental health and money, motherhood, meditation, or anything really, I'm committed to throwing out the taboo to get the conversation going. So I'm really excited you're here and let's get started. Today's conversation is with both Sarah Zajic and Jamie Anderson, two of Fairchild Tropical Gardens botanical program coordinators. Together, we talk about botany and horticulture's impact on our mental health and how working with plants plays a pivotal role in self-awareness, responsibility, connection, and grief management. All right, let's hear what they have to say. I am so excited to be speaking with people from a place that is extremely near and dear to my heart. Fairchild uh, Botanical Gardens here in Miami. Talking about mental health, honestly, you guys, it's just it's just my happy place. I mean, growing up the the mango festival was my idea of heaven, and besides that, I noticed that every time I just needed to gather my thoughts or regroup or center myself, I always found myself there. So, I think there's something to be said about people naturally or intrinsically going to nature when they need to recenter themselves. And when going out to nature isn't available, like it hasn't been in pockets during the time we find ourselves now, bringing nature into the home. I mean, just around where I am, so many garden centers have been popping up. And I mean, I think everyone and their mother now has a fiddle leaf tree in their house. So clearly there's a connection there. And I know that you guys are well aware of that intersection between mental health and and botany. So I'd love to pick your brain. And I want to know from your perspective, why do you think we naturally lean into nature when we need to recenter ourselves? What is, what is that connection from your perspective?
1: Well, I think, it, it, Sarah, if you don't mind, i will just jump in first. But um, I, I think for me personally, it really is a, a genetic connection, right? We are um, a Civilization people who have been so deeply connected with our environment for so long, um, so I think that you know, that's there in our genes from you know a science perspective. we've learned as we've evolved to you know understand plants, understand plant life, how to use the, that plant life, and how now to protect that plant life for future generations. So I think for me it's a genetic kind of connection which leads and gives rise to that emotional connection because they are one and the same.
0: I never thought about it from that perspective. So you're saying in naturally genetically, or maybe in this case, epigenetically, Mm -hmm. uh, we, we turn to the outside world just because we know that's kind of a safe space for us to, to recenter ourselves because that's always been there for us. Is, is that kind of
1: where you're going with that? Yeah, that's a better way to say that. More of the, the epigenetics, right? The That how we use our environment, how we've, how we've learned to use the gifts that nature has given us, not just for aesthetic reasons, but also, you know, for survival purposes from goods and food sources uh, to cultural celebrations, you know, weddings. Everything's very tied to plants if you look at our cultural history. So we've been very tied to plants for a very long time. And after generation and generation of that kind of knowledge and, and experience being passed down, I think we're just innately drawn to nature. That's kind of how I think about it. (laughs) No, yeah, that makes
0: total sense. And Sarah, so you're the botany coordinator there. And so I know that you guys have a lot of different programs that you work with schools. Um, so do you guys bring this connection, either from a mental health perspective or not between human and nature into these programs? And if so, how do you do that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um and just to kind of piggyback off of what what Jamie was saying um, before i I launch into that, but I think there's also something that's very humbling about being out in nature and kind of reminds us of our piece of the puzzle but we we ourselves are not the entire puzzle right so by going out into nature can allow us to kind of shift our perspective back and kind of reconnect in to some of those bigger dynamics i think and and can sometimes help just sort of shake things up and and clarify some of the you know the knots and tangles we might be getting into kind of stuck in our own heads and kind of becoming a little bit more a part of that bigger picture again. And so with the field trips that we we used to run on site at the garden, kind of pre-COVID times, that was one of the things that we really tried to emphasize with the kids was obviously STEM learning and, and all of those pieces are really great, but allowing for some of that time to just connect and be awed by how amazing our natural world is and how diverse and intelligent plants can be and connecting into that sensation and feeling. Um, And for some people, that's a very exhilarating feeling. For some people, that's a very calming feeling. For some people, that's a, a weird mishmash of both. But when we were able to have groups of students at the garden, that was definitely something that we really strive to do. And now that we're Mostly working with virtual programming, trying to find ways to still connect people to both kind of the plants in their immediate life and some of those incredible plants that, you know, we're able to have at the garden or that you find out in a diverse range of incredible ecosystems. How can we connect students to that while also staying in touch with the nature that they have access to?
0: Yeah, I never realized, even though. It's kind of intuitive that you go outside or bringing the outside in to recognize that there is something bigger than you, but from a perspective of you not being alone, not to make you feel smaller and significant, but rather to say the world around you almost has your back. And I mean, that sounds corny, but that's honestly how being outside or even the plants in my home make me feel and i think connecting to that especially in times that are more isolated than others that going back to what jamie said about just like the natural tendency to to use that as a fallback to remind ourselves of that i think that's a perfect way of tying both of those things in and then going into elementary schools and and teaching them to turn to nature or to reap the benefits of the plants around them. When we now have programs like mindfulness for young kids or meditation, do you think that kind of fills the same role? Because I'm trying to think of what can, in this case, young kids be doing to to recenter themselves during times when they are feeling a little alone, maybe they haven't seen their friends and, and their mental health is suffering. How can, how can plants and, and botany actually help them achieve that, that mindfulness
2: again? Absolutely. Um, And as a, a very new sort of mindfulness practitioner myself, I'm, I'm glad you, you brought that up because it is such a beneficial practice, especially in these times, or at least I've, I've personally found Um, And it can be really helpful for kids for emotional regulation and things like that. And I think part of what connecting students to the natural world and, and especially to plants is helping keep that wonder and that curiosity alive. Because I think that one of the things that can get so dulled when we feel isolated and when we feel alone and when we feel detached is it's hard to feel curious about learning new things or feeling that sense of wonder or accomplishment, because so often that's something that, you know, we experience in a social group, especially with young children, you know, frequently, not, not always, but frequently children play together to learn and discover. Um, And so when you take that away, how can we foster some of that, that natural spark? And I think that um, by, turning to our natural world, by turning to especially plants, you can give students those moments and those tools to be able to investigate and explore and ask questions and nurture without necessarily being able to be physically close with each other and you know, for for some students, that's maybe just like picking a leaf, picking a flower, going home, looking at it. For some, it might be finding what plants that they're eating in their day-to-day life, but for some, it might be growing plants, and I think that there's something that really allows for that next level of connection because you can nurture something, you can watch it grow, but, you know, if, if you explore it a little bit more deeply, you know, It's providing something back to you, right? It's giving you that oxygen. It's giving you a sense of accomplishment and responsibility as you're helping keep it alive. And it gives students and and kids, frankly, adults, too, kind of room to explore some of those more complicated emotions of frustration or disappointment or excitement or hope. in in sort of a little safe setting. And so allowing processing of some of those feelings as well through the act of trying to grow a plant.
0: Yeah. And there is science to back up the fact that growing a plant or being around plants or going into nature obviously does reduce uh, the way your body experiences the severity of stress even depression and anxiety reduction has been found in a lot of the scientific studies that look into that connection. So again, especially during these times, that's so, so important. Is there such a thing as, as having a green thumb, do you think? Or can anyone be successful at growing and nurturing a plant if taught well?
1: Sarah, do you want to go first or do you want to- uh, I'll answer first, because I think our answers are going to be very different. So I'll let you end on the more hopeful note
2: <laughs> because I I personally think that while anyone can have success connecting with nature and investigating and exploring nature and loving nature and all of that, I am very much someone who does not have a green thumb personally. dealing with some of those complicated feelings like anticipation and disappointment and frustration um, is definitely something that I encounter in my own uh, gardening practice. So I think that, to quote a Disney movie, like anyone can cook, right? So anyone can do the basics, but there are definitely some people, I think, who have a natural inclination to being very good with plants.
0: (laughs) So in your case, it's more do as I say, not as I do.
2: I I can help uh, inspire and spark that curiosity and that love, and then I leave it up to the students to actually be able to keep their plant alive.
0: <laughs> but that's it is good advice to have that in the home and for parents to to prioritize that. I know. I work with a young girl who keeps uh, an herb garden and just the joy that brings her and just the fact that she feels so self-reliant, the fact that she can prove responsibility to her parents and the fact that she can, you know, reap the benefits from something that she's tending to with her own hands has done wonders for, for her own mental health. And I think that's true for for children and adults alike. But without rambling too much, Jamie, you were going to say something.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with Sarah. I I don't think that, you know, everyone is just naturally born with this like green thumb ability. I do think a lot of it um, comes from patience and comes from understanding all that all those things that can be taught. Um, You know, we are wonderful human learners right our brains are just geared for learning and I think if it's if it's presented in a way that connects with you and works for you and is practical I think that anyone can anyone can cook Sarah anyone can grow plants (laughs) um I know just sharing a little bit of my own journey um I suffer from pretty severe anxiety panic attacks um and have for many years Um, And something that has really improved my personal health is getting involved with Fairchild uh, for a job, um, for a career. You know, I was naturally drawn to this process. I have a science background and I've always been drawn to nature and never really understood why until, you know, um, having conversations like this really do help others kind of connect. Do you think
0: your experience permeates into the programs you coordinate in order to maybe reach out to people who may not even have made the connection between their own emotions and their uh, desire and attraction to taking care of something that's living? If so, how do you foster that in, in someone else so that they can, can reap those benefits the way that you have?
1: Awesome question. Yeah. Um, and so, just to give a little context, too. So, Sarah and I coordinate um, magnet school programming at Fairchild um, as well. So, Sarah awesome. handles the elementary students um, connecting with plants, and I handle the high school um, research portion. And the students come to the garden. Um, and just today, you know, working with our students, you overhear things like, I'm so happy we get to come to the garden. I'm so happy I get to be outside. I'm so happy I get to work with these plants. And what we do, and I think Sarah can, can kind of chime in when I'm finished as well, is what we try to do is provide these opportunities for students to learn how to grow plants, um, what kind of resources we get from plants, um, what benefits we get from, from particular species, you know, beyond just you know, the basics of oxygen production and, and, and food sources. And I think that slowing down, recognizing in, these, in this experimental science botany-based class that we're teaching them they're learning to slow down appreciate the small details
2: some of my students and i had a really great conversation recently about
1: south florida as an
2: environment and as an ecosystem and a lot of the plants that are naturally here are overlooked because South Florida is, if you go like kind of into the heart of like a pine rockland, for example, it's very scrappy. It's It has to be drought tolerant and flood tolerant. It burns every few years. It's growing on this very rough, sharp limestone rock. There's a lot of competition. And so a lot of these plants don't necessarily look the most beautiful and they don't look the most impressive. And so a lot of times people don't necessarily see the value in them. But kind of looking past that and seeing how each plant plays a bigger part in the ecosystem and how these plants are adapted to survive in these crazy ecosystems and kind of being able to watch some of these kids who have had difficult experiences that I, I have not personally dealt with, but watching them connect to these plants and the adaptations these plants have and this idea of like surviving a lot of different Conditions and seeing the kids connect into that was honestly a very powerful moment that I wasn't expecting. It always impresses me how good teachers
0: are at being sneaky in the best ways, where it's like, I'm going to teach you this very important social lesson or survival skill without you even realizing it. But then afterwards, you're going to feel so good about yourself and you're going to think back and realize, huh, that's exactly what it was, or that's what I needed to hear in order to feel better or to, to cross this hurdle or to even heal this wound. I know that in my business, I used food as a way to tackle tough topics and to make uh, a friendly entry into a conversation about taking care and about looking to our emotions and dealing with our emotions and and really conquering our mental health. So it sounds like you kind of you both do the same things using nature and plants. And I wonder before I, because I want to know the specific species and their different benefits because I think that's critical for for people to hear and know. I want to ask you, do you think there's hope to taking these types of courses and, and educational platforms and bringing them into places where they're really needed? I mean, like the first thing that comes to my mind is the jails or even hospitals. Is that being done? Do you guys do that? Or, or do you see a point of
1: entry in order to do that in the future? That's a really good question. Um, And I know in the past, uh, Fairchild Gardens have been involved with horticulture therapy programs, Um, you know, obviously, again, pre-COVID conditions. But I think that you make a good point about these are the types of programs that should not only be available to every student um, in, you know, let's say Miami-Dade County, for example, um, but, you know, should also be standard operating procedure for those other locations that you mentioned. I, I, think there's a lot of benefit with that, but we don't at this current juncture do any of those programmings anymore. So.
0: Okay. But you mentioned horticulture therapy. Can you give an example yes. of that? Cause I wonder if someone can implement that themselves. Is that possible?
1: Again, I think that, you know, as humans, we're, we're capable of learning. We just have to have, um, guides to be able to do that. And I think Sarah and I both try to be guides for our students. Um, For an example, for referencing the horticulture therapy program, Mm -hmm. you know, that was a program that the garden um, and our visitor services team paired up with some home health organizations, some um, particular nursing homes, and they would bring um, those particular patients out and take them around the garden and have them, um, do plant cuttings or learn, take, take a small plant sample home with them, or just be in different plant exhibits and touch the leaves and feel the different textures, feel the different smells. Um, you know, Sarah can probably speak a little bit more on this. Um, but the, the, a sensory garden for, um, you know, individuals with learning disabilities or, or different, um, Uh, learning abilities (laughs) to be able to experience plants on using your five senses, right? It's not just seeing, um, it is feeling and smelling and immersing yourself in that.
0: So you're talking about people on the autism spectrum have benefited from from these programs, or you're talking about something different?
1: Yeah. So I think that, you know, having programs like the ones I just mentioned, which are horticulture therapy-based programs are really important for neurodiverse learners of mm-hmm. all abilities. So any, any of those horticulture or botany based programmings that Sarah and I mentioned that we run, we both have students on multiple ability um, tracks and multiple with different capabilities. And we try to scaffold those programs the best we can, um, but it would be really amazing. And I think something we'd like to do in the future is to do more of those programs um, around learners with different abilities.
0: What is one of the benefits that you saw that's attributable to their experience in the garden
1: or in their garden at home? Oh, my my favorite is, um, and I'm sure Sarah has a few as well. (laughs) Didn't mean to just jump in, Sarah. But what, what always amazes me is, um, you know, if you're working with students, you know, on the autism spectrum, or maybe they're just classified as ADHD, or maybe they're classified as something else, and they're just neuro neuro neurologically diverse, a lot of teachers will tell me, oh, well, this, you know, this particular student, you need to watch out, they don't X, Y, and Z. But when you put them in an environment where they're self-guided, they have control of what they're learning, they're outdoors, they're touching leaves, they're smelling the flowers, they're learning about, you know, and just immersing themselves in that experience, you get a completely different student. Um, And same thing with, you know, adults with various, um, whether it's an issue or whether they themselves are are a, a neurodiverse individual, seeing their reaction and seeing how they perform in that environment with those species is really fascinating. You just get a different result. So you put in stimuli, you have a a person and you typically will get a different result. So it's just, it's just powerful to see that.
0: Sarah, did you want to give your perspective?
2: Absolutely. Um, I, I completely agree with everything Jamie was saying that, you know, just the very tactile nature of gardening, it's it's both controllable, but also unpredictable. So, you know, you can you can do everything exactly right and you're still not gonna know 100% what the results are going to be, but you can adjust as you go. So it's really great for a lot of different learning types. I think another, another benefit of uh, horticulture therapy, but I think also it's a really great way to deal with grief. And you know, being able to tend to something and nurture it. And I, I remember um, one of the students who I was working with on a on a school garden, who started opening up about their their father. And I wasn't privy to the whole story, um, but for some reason they were no longer able to to see their father. But just like the process of gardening was was reminding this student of spending time with with their father and being able to to garden in the past with him and so just by that act of of connecting to sort of this shared history was able to at least open up a little bit and start to maybe process through some of those feelings. Because it is, it is very, you know, even just like the tactile of touching soil can be really calming, pulling weeds. I I know myself personally, like when I'm stressed, I just like go and rip some weeds out. So I think that that horticulture therapy is really a beautiful thing um, when it comes to healing trauma and healing grief, and I think that that's something that kind of collectively we're all dealing with right now. So I think you know, going back to your one of your original points about how this is something that we can all implement. I think that you know, whether or not you you specifically have been diagnosed with a mental health disorder, we all have mental health and we're all living and dealing with something that you know, I think we're all in some way grieving. Um, and so by gardening, there there is perhaps an entry point into working through and healing some of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, thank you for bringing that up because by making that point about your student and their father, I realized that, so I lost my mom three years ago and I wasn't living in Miami at the time, but I moved back to help my dad kind of refigure out his life and you just brought back a memory which was that I was sitting in my dining room table with my dad and my sister and I think the grief I mean that was probably like two months after after she'd passed and the grief just finally hit me and it completely took over my body I experienced my first full-blown panic attack What was amazing, though, was I just, without even thinking, I just opened the door. I went outside. Thankfully, I was blessed enough to to have an acre of land as a backyard growing up. I went outside and I I just kind of collapsed on the floor in a way where I was just, I needed to feel that earth under me. I needed to feel the grass. And that instantly calmed me and that was such a powerful moment is that what they call earthing i mean i know i've i've heard that term kind of thrown around where when we're experiencing very emotionally salient things in our lives to go outside and to feel that earth under our feet does something to the the neurodynamic system in our body is that is that an accurate representation of earthing i know i kind of pivoted from something that was uh, emotional to now asking asking more of a, a of a clinical question. Or sterile question,
1: but uh, I would love to know. So something I do pretty daily and Sarah and I, I think are in the same camp because we work together and, you know, we're able to take our shoes off and walk around barefoot outside and, you know, put our feet in the grass. And that's something grounding yourself, you know, you know, earthing, however you want to call it, is is something that there's, there is quite a bit of reading material on and just putting your feet on the ground in the dirt, putting your hands in the dirt, And that soil, that rich, life-giving earth, right, does connect us. And going back to kind of what I think our connection with plants is, is it's a very survival-based one. There is no life without plants, bottom Mm -hmm. of the line. Um, And so I think we know that at a very primal level. And so being able to put your feet in in the grass, you know, in that soil is really important for for everybody.
0: I want to circle back to the the other benefits that you had spoken about with different species because i mean on the one hand i think there is an abundance of research that says that just tending to plants can you know increase and support a greater sense of self it can even help improve alzheimer's symptoms and increase gray matter but are there specific species that do specific things. I mean, I bet people would be interested to know, okay, if I bought this tree, it would help me do this. Is that how it works or or not so
2: much? Uh, I'll, I'll jump in first on as, as the person who is uh, less good at keeping plants alive, clearly I am <laughs> the foremost expert on uh, this. Um, my personal recommendation to people is usually grow what can work for you, not necessarily grow exactly what you want. If you are in a living condition where you don't have access to particularly great sunlight, don't try to grow tomatoes on your back patio <laughs> because you're just going to be frustrated. And, you know, then perhaps you're not going to be reaping those benefits. You're just going to be throwing money and energy at a problem that can't really be solved. Um, but indoor plants is a fantastic way to start. You know, there's a lot of benefits for helping clean the air, having something green and living. And, you know, we're lucky here in South Florida. Because we have access to so many tropical plants, a lot of those kind of low-level rainforest plants have those really big, dark green, waxy leaves that you can buy at at a lot of different places. Usually have kind of large, interesting-shaped leaves. And those tend to grow really well inside. I'm also a huge proponent of growing what you can afford. Gardening can become a expensive habit, and I think that, you know, we should be investing in our plants, we should be investing in our mental health, but also in a way that is realistic and accessible to yourself. I shall give my two cents on the story of my soup plant. I got pho, the the noodle soup uh, takeout, and in it, they give you your box of noodles and your box of bean sprouts, and there were a couple of sprigs of basil in the box, and you can grow a lot of herbs from cutting. So I took the leftover basil bits, cut them, rooted them on my kitchen sink, and eventually grew it into a very delicious plant that I turned into a lot more batches of soup just kind of from leftovers. So finding plants that you can grow in a way that's affordable to you and is going to work with the conditions you have, I think is more important for that longer
1: term success. But Jamie is the one with a much greener thumb. Her garden is gorgeous. Going back to what Sarah mentioned originally, I think if you pick a plant that's really cool that you know is easy to take care of, or that has you know some really neat adaptations, like if you know you're pretty bad at watering, pick a drought-tolerant plant to start with. That's how I started, um, and um, you can really learn about that species as you're learning to grow plants. So I, I don't know if that answered your question. If that does
0: answer my question. And what I hear you say is that it's more about taking your environment environment, your time and your beginner, intermediate, or advanced level into consideration, rather than there's no like one plant that will cure anxiety, one plant right. that's best for depression. It's just a matter of taking your space, accommodating your space and doing whatever is best for your budget and your ability to commit to to that plant because it is a living being. So like a pet, just pick a pet that's <laughs> that that works with your lifestyles. Speaking of planting plants, I want to hear about this really cool program with NASA. I don't know if you guys are still doing it, but even if you're not still involved with it, I'd love to hear about what you were doing because I know there was a mental health component in the mix. And I don't know, just thinking about the plants we can grow in space is fascinating to me. So um,
2: the, I, I think the project you're talking about is Growing Beyond Earth which has been Fairchild's partnership with NASA for for quite a while now. And it's a very expansive program. We're partnering with a lot of schools. And this year now we are working internationally, actually, with schools around the world to test out how different plant varieties might fare growing on the International Space Station. And so, you know, why grow plants on the International Space Station? Well, one, because astronauts are really hungry and (laughs) freeze-dried food has come a long way, but it's still not a long-term sustainable option. A huge piece of it is for mental health and for general astronaut well-being, having something that feels connected back to home, in this case, home being Earth, um, but you know, I think we can relate that a lot of different ways. You know, for for different people, um, plants can help us feel connected to home, and just the the having something to take care of, something that's growing, something that's living, and being able to then consume fresh, nutritious, crunchy green vegetables is also really important. You know, just to to enhance their diet from a nutrition perspective but also from a mental well-being of just having that perspective
0: and you've been successful like there have been plants that that successfully have Grown in space. And when we're talking about in space, what is what does that actually mean? I realize I'm thinking, like, are you actually planting plants on Mars or like this is within the the shuttle? Or what does that actually mean to grow plants in space?
1: So what the goal is right now is there have been plants successfully grown grown on the International Space Station. Um, I believe 2015, 2014 was the first year they successfully grew plants in outer space. And my favorite part of reading about this is, you know, it originally as, as as humans and our curiosity expands we want to see if can we even grow plants in space um so i think the, the beginnings were very simple um you know how do we provide nutrition for the astronauts beyond so it's a supplemental food crop beyond the packaged diet that is you know currently used by the crew Um, and so the international space station, if, if you guys aren't familiar, um, you know, I learned a lot of this as (laughs) working through this program as well. So please default, I am not a space plant biologist, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, but the international space station is in what we call low earth orbit. So it's a microgravity environment. It gives us a good, and I say us like researchers, like all of us working on this project, it gives them an understanding of how plants behave in those environments. Um. And what was really neat, I think, from that first round um, that the the NASA team, uh, that first round of plants that they grew, you know, physically, that they looked pretty similar to the plants that grew on earth. The roots grew away from the light, leaves grow towards the light. Um, Obviously, they're looking at, you know, very detailed uh, biology. So they're looking at what could have happened during the growth process. Does the microgravity environment change the cellular level? So there's a lot of cool science that's going on beyond what they're looking at. But I like that Sarah... Also mentioned, though, it's used for recreation and relaxation. Any minute they have to themselves to tend to, I think, plants or, um, you know, getting the nutrition that they need in their diet just is is really beneficial. I know as someone who kind of lost it in quarantine the first few months, <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I can't stay in my house anymore. I can imagine what it's like, I can't imagine what it's like on the International Space Station. Being so far from home, um, you know, in your routine to have plants, to have some sort of connection to Earth, like Sarah said, is could be really impactful.
0: And it makes the prospect of one day inhabiting other planets, not to say that I'll be alive or any of us will be alive when that happens, obviously, but just to think about that a little less scary because you think of that as like a dark, desolate reality, but it could be a very lush one because I never would have realized that, but it makes sense that, that there is success in, in growing plants and other environments. And Sarah, I apologize because you had said it was the International Space Station and just my lack of awareness or knowledge of what that actually means made me have you guys repeat that. So <laughs> I apologize for that. I'm, I'm in awe of everything you guys are doing and I really appreciate the connections you're making, the effort you're putting towards bringing this to different settings and helping as many people benefit from your expertise as possible. I've learned so much from talking to both of you and thank you again for taking the time to speak with me. Before I let you go, though, I ask everybody this: so both of you individually, could you please tell me what do you think mental health is from your individual perspective?
1: This is such a great question, and I think you know just to share. I think what you're doing is really fascinating, and I think that it it takes um, all players. You know, whether it's working with plants or whether it's strictly the mental health trajectory kind of focus our, our wellness, our, our mental health is part of our physical health. They're not separate. Um, I think, you know, as someone who started in the sciences, you always learn that, you know, the physical body and the mental body are very separate beings. Um, but you know, they're not, we're learning that. What is wellness in general? It's, is it just being physically healthy? Is it being mentally healthy? Like if you were, I'm a very visual learner. So I like to draw like a scale, like a a linear scale of in the middle is neutral and you have a negative end and a positive end. Like what is wellness? Is wellness just the absence of being ill? Well, I don't really think that then you're just surviving. (laughs) Mm. I think wellness is really going beyond and enriching yourself, whether it's learning new skills or meditating, growing plants bettering yourself, I think, you know, feeding yourself healthy, putting healthy things in your mind, <laughs> being around well people and, and, you know, being around maybe people who aren't in the prime of their wellness. I think all of those experiences really impact how well you become. And mm. mental health is a huge part of that. So.
2: Sarah? I'm, I'm going to kind of hit it from a slightly, from a slightly different angle. Um, but I think that for me, mental health is a lot about how you connect and understand and and work with yourself with others and kind of with the bigger picture whatever that that means to an individual but it's how you're able to to relate and work on kind of those those three different levels and there are a lot of different ways that you can do that in a way that feels integrated and holistic and, and healthy, and there are ways that it could be unhealthy. I definitely agree with Jamie that it is, it is not separate from our physical health, but I think that the mental health piece especially is about those relationships, um, whether it's to yourself or to others.
0: That's why I love asking this question, because even people who occupy the same professional space can come up with different perspectives, but that still complement each other. So it's always a privilege to speak with accomplished and, and powerful female scientists in particular. Thank you again for for taking the time to speak with me.
1: Thank you so much for having us and and just reaching out. I think both Sarah and I were we're really excited to do this. And and I think that what you are on a mission to do is something we should all be doing is having these conversations, um, especially now. So thank you.
0: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sarah and Jamie. To learn more about Fairchild Tropical Gardens and the educational opportunities available, you can find links in the description box of this podcast episode. All right, until next time.